BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everyone. Big news from the boys of The Last Podcast on the left. Check out The Last Comic Book on the left, our most sinister comic anthology. It now has a volume two. Please pre-order now at Z2Comics.com. We have an even bigger stable of artists and talent and writers and everyone that we did for the first one, although the first one is fucking amazing and it's still available on Z2Comics.com. But we're asking you to go pre-order number two, Z2Comics. You're going to like the way you read. (laughs) All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Guy. It's me, Yoda. I don't know how to start this one. You can do a Yoda voice. Anybody, (laughs) it's like the one voice anybody can do. It's me, Yoda. It's me, Yoda. Brizard Holden McNeely, but he's not even. I feel like there's so many other characters I should have chosen. That uh, <laughs> hi, and it's me, your your new your New Zealander soldier. Uh, <laughs> let's see, which one am I? Uh, Rex. Everybody likes Rex. <laughs> I I believe in the brotherhood. I can't abandon my brothers, but I gotta follow orders. But also, <laughs> what's going on? Oh, I'm such a versatile hero. And meet my friend Glips Six Eighty Seven, <laughs> big boy. Tonka Wonka, and of course, Slappy Jeff. All right, Slappy Jeff. I don't there is a that, but... there's a 19 year old who grew up watching this show that was like, when Slappy Jeff died at the hands of Gorp Gorp, I cried, and my parents found me inconsolable on the living room floor. How dare I you? I mean, it's a great show. That's right. We're talking about the Clone Wars this week, and uh, man, what an undertaking! I feel like. Um, you know, destroyed by this topic, uh, if I must say myself, because there's so much going on. There's so many seasons. It's so beloved. I want to do it justice. And that's why we brought in Alex from Star Wars Explained, the Star Wars Explained podcast. Uh, and uh, we're happy to have you here. YouTube, Twitch, and a, a literal, I mean, not quite galactic, but an empire of content, Alex has explaining Star Wars. It's unbelievable. Alex, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I'm so glad you brought up Slappy Jeff. He is my favorite clone. The, the one clone that refused to use a blaster uh, slaps yeah. only against a droid yeah, army. Just, it's a bold move. When he slapped Palpatine, I was like, whoa, dude. <laughs> well, you know, that was one move. of the lost episodes that they did in Clone Wars Legacy. They only have crude animatics of that yeah. happening. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, man. Thank you so much for, for joining us because I feel overwhelmed. And, you know, it's not like this fandom's like, you know, scary. So um, no, uh, I definitely want to do it justice. Gra- Alex understands. This is a great time and period to assert yourself online as an authority on Star Wars. Everybody <laughs> is just super jazzed about that right now. Yeah, everybody loves me. One hundred percent. Oh my god, I couldn't imagine your to be uh, to live in your DMs for a day. That would be very interesting, <laughs> Alex. But uh, we will. But we will. We'll talk about the positive side of things with this show and the people who love it. Um, real quick, I'm going to give the synopsis, and then I want to get into the gush. I want to talk about what all of our personal connections are to the show, or or uh, just kind of our. What we lust for when we watch. I don't know why I said that. It's a weird way to it's, talk about it. It's but... the Star Wars universe. It's literally the opposite <laughs> of lust. There is the, it's the least lustful entertainment property in the history of mankind. Star Wars Clone Wars was a 2003 animated series produced and directed by Jindy Tartakovsky. That's oh, man, I said that right. And later, a more importantly, a computer animated movie and TV series created by George Lucas as a uh, continuation of that initial series and uh, was directed by Avatar The Last uh, Airbender alum Dave Filoni. Um, who essentially has become, I would put him up there as one of the most important people in Star Wars right now, putting out Star Wars stuff because of this show and what he's done after. The series is set between the films Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith and revolves around the war between Jedi and clone troopers against the droid armies of the Confederacy of Independent Systems and the Sith. The initial series ran for 25 episodes in three seasons, with the latter show up to seven seasons uh, before it finished, uh, as well as all these spinoffs, Star Wars The Bad Batch, stuff like that, Star Wars Rebels. Um, And it's a lot of material, and it's really good. And I'm glad we can finally do The Clone Wars because, look... We've done episodes on A New Hope. We have did an episode on Empire Strikes Back. Did we do Return of the Jedi to close the... To I don't f- think we ever did Return of the To finish Jedi. the loop. we got to go back and do that. We've done Star Wars stuff before. As folks might know, I've refused uh, to do anything on the uh, prequels. Um, Hold on. We've been I'm doing this show long prequels. enough that I have begged you to do prequel episodes as prequel memes have like gone in and out and then back into fashion <laughs> since we started this podcast. Yeah, I pulled my foot down. But should I not? Should I stop hating on the pre? How do you feel, first of all, before we get into Clone Wars? What's your general feeling, Alex, just to get you in as much trouble as possible? <laughs> what's your general feeling about the prequels? I I mean, I feel like I had a very roller coastery relationship with them. I okay. was 12. When the Phantom Menace came out and I loved it Mm -hmm. because I was like George Lucas's target demo. He says Mm -hmm. Star Wars is made for 12 year olds. It doesn't matter which era it is in. Mm -hmm. And that's why, like, you know, uh, the people who grew up with the originals, I think, struggled with it so much uh, because George didn't like age the series up with them. He kept it for 12 year olds. And so I, I was like eight when I saw the original trilogy and loved it saw more Star Wars in 1999 and had nothing but praise for it. So then I was 15 for Attack of the Clones. I didn't like it as much as Phantom Menace, but I don't remember like walking out of the theater being like, ugh, childhood ruined. (laughs) I do remember being 18. That'd be weird to do that in the middle of your childhood. Uh Right, exactly, exactly. (laughs) I do remember being 18 and hearing more cynicism around it uh like uh-huh. some of my high schooler friends we saw the trailer for episode three somewhere 
and they were like, oh, it's going to suck like the other two. And I was like, the other two don't suck. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I never really had any issues with the prequels. I think as I got into my 20s, uh, I, I felt a little more of that cynicism mm. and kind of fell into that bandwagon. But then getting into Star Wars more and more uh, with the excitement that they, they were going to make more like I was never cynical about that. And I, I kind of have grown to love the prequels for what they are, while also recognizing that there were far more flaws uh-huh. than I saw when I was 12 and 15 and so on. But I, I've always just been into Star Wars as a whole. Like, I've been into the books and the comics and the video games. You just want to, like, live in that world. Exactly. It's, maybe if it's not the strongest version of that world compared to other versions of that world, it is what it is. But I think you're able to see maybe the silver lining or the brighter side of uh, of any of it that's, that comes out. And I think I'm being a negative Nelly about the prequels, Jake. Am I am I starting to have a revelation here? I think, the, well, I will say this. I think in general, the Clone Wars... Made even made me like without having gone back to watch the prequels, it made me actually like even subtly like the prequels more. Or mm-hmm. it really like there's not. I I realize the Clone Wars. I think in a lot of ways is a missing link. That if you attach that this thing to the the prequels, it it actually brings the whole thing up. For oh, me. absolutely. It's he, the way I'm thinking about it, uh, especially because. Holden, we're of the same generational cohort. We were like de- deep into our teens when the prequels came yeah, out. Yeah, we were slightly older, Alex, and maybe that's a little bit. But I do remember being hype for the first film, specifically oh, yeah. upon watching it. Uh, I remember walking out being like super jazzed on that. I think when it really started to tank for me, it was like, first of all, letting other people's criticisms kind of invade my brain for that first movie. I do think there's genuine issues with the second film. And I had a hard time just even getting through it. Um, but again, I never went back to it since then. And I remember mostly liking the third one, Revenge of the Sith, right? Or Yeah. And um, I'm drawing a blank on that one. It's but, called Mustafar Beach Party, I believe. Oh, name, I love the beach party <laughs> bingo scene. But yeah, I remember. I just remember like actually really turning more towards the third one or, or, or opening up more towards the third one I watched in the theater. And then, of course, the classic, no. Mm-hmm. moment happened you know and then we all and everyone in the theater laughed and we all were like ah but uh i feel like i need to go back to it and clone wars makes me want to go back to it and clone wars may have actually made me dare i say like not think the prequels are so bad it's because okay. it's so good this is that's how good it is the thing i was absolutely uh i walked into phantom menace and was like oh that was weird and not what i wanted and like kind of Jar Jar Binks was annoying. Yeah, and all it was that. a phantom minute. The That's second like one, what you're I went to like the premiere <laughs> at the Ziegfeld Theater in New York City. There were people yeah. in cosplay. We lined up around the block. It was this big event. And everybody was saying like, oh, well, that was just the first one. This one's going to be the good one. And it turned out to be the worst one. And there was like an existential dread in the theater as credits rolled. Everybody I mean, I will in say the it was room. weird that you showed up uh, dressed as the talking plant from uh, Little Shop of Horrors. I thought that was a strange choice for cosplay. I mean, it was, I just thought I'd, people needed a little sass. You just need a little sass. Uh, somebody did ask if I was dressed up as Watto, and I was like, no, I'm wearing my normal clothes, and I felt very upset. And then I asked if he had credits. <laughs> 
And then as I went to college, uh, the, you know, ain't it cool news, uh, the red letter media uh, breakdowns, like the, the, the ways that the prequels had failed had kind of become canonized in internet neckbeard circles. And I just kind of held on to that for a while yeah. because there are just like basic filmmaking mistakes. There is just like a lot of people talking on couches. There is a lot of just awkward edits and attempts at comedy and weird swings in tone. And it just does not quite gel to tell the scale of story that George Lucas wanted to tell with these things. Uh, And the Clone Wars gives those themes and those characters and all of the things that a Bush era treatise on war and peace and uh, democracy and uh, the value of human rights and the suffering of people in conflicts actually deserves uh, with George Lucas kind of in the mix to give it that kind of like weird Lucas unique touch, that auteur like kiss of of actual uh, singular voice, but with a whole room of younger, more impressionable mm. and talented people that actually like crafted into something much more watchable. And that's the beauty, I feel like, of what I've learned from re- researching the show was like, this was like George Lucas's playground. This is where he got to let loose and just tell the stories he really wanted to tell, sometimes in one-offs, sometimes his larger arcs. And he w- it, it just sounds like he was kind of bogged down by the stress and pressure of making those prequels great. Where it, And then I think there's still solid things about the prequels, not to like, not to shit on them, but... But then he had Clone Wars just come in and just tell a bunch of really fun stories and 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 really explore <laughs> fun the Clone fun Wars. You say, Holden, I have some arcs that will leave you <laughs> gutted well, you know and weasel. But I don't know. I think that energy is there. Like you feel that energy from, come off of the show. I think. Yeah. If, if I can, I think that uh, George Lucas's eyes have always been bigger than his filmmaking stomach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when when you read about. Uh, the making of A New Hope, for example, you can tell like he had so much of the world planned out. So much of the prequels were in his head already Uh from the very first crawl that he wrote. That crawl is like six paragraphs long and it's insanity. (laughs) And he had people around him to be like, George, this is a mess. Brian De Palma, like famously helped him eventually write the final crawl mm-hmm. so that it was just like, this is all people need to understand this story. Focus on this one story. Tell the rest of your story later. So when he got to the prequels, I don't think he had the people around him to help him do that. Yeah. They were just like, whatever you want, George, we will execute your vision. He became the mentor. Yeah. And, and who mentors the mentor? And, and, yeah. And then he, he had all these ideas and Like going to uh, Revenge of the Sith, for example, he had this idea for a Boba Fett revenge story against Mace Windu, and he wanted to do too much, Mm -hmm. I think. And so I I think that the the Clone Wars is his chance to, like you said, kind of tell those stories. Also, he had people around him executing. Also, he loves to push technology forward. Mm -hmm. So he's like, let's see if we can do a completely CG show. That looks good and because it's CG and it's on purpose stylized. Uh-huh. We're not trying to go for uber realism, yeah. so we get uncanny valley. We're, we're we're looking at a you know animated show, and I think that sells it better. Exactly. So I, I think that he was trying to tell the whole vision of the prequels that he had uh, after the fact, also pushing technology forward. Uh, 
that that's how I see the Clone Wars. And yes, yeah. it does elevate the prequels to the point where I think people don't think of the prequels without the Clone Wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they think of it as the Clone Wars era. It's like a revelation for me because I was still looking at the prequels just alone and themselves and like my memory of them when I was even much more cynical, honestly, than I am now about yeah. this stuff. And, right? and to bring it yeah. to like present day, now we're going through that cycle again with uh-huh. the sequels and people yes. who grew up with the prequels don't like the sequels. <laughs> yeah. And and now we're kind of getting to that point where books and comics are coming out and they will be cynical about like, oh, well, look at Disney trying to fix the sequels. And it's like, <laughs> what do you think the Clone Wars was? Right. <laughs> to you, it's one and the same, but it, it was a fix. The other thing I would say, though, is like besides that initial trilogy that set the world on fire... You know, I feel like Star Wars lives its best life outside of Rogue One's fucking amazing, but it, it seems like it lives its best life in a show format like Mandalorian, um, you know, the new the Obi-Wan show the and, and Clone Wars. It seems like telling these smaller stories or getting to kind of explore arcs and move into other territories, you know, and kind of bring different story threads together over the course of a season of a show. I think um, it just seems like it's operating better in that space lately than it has um, sometimes in like a packaged film. Well, one of the things that Clone Wars definitely accomplished was it really kind of laid out the fact that you can tell any story in a Uh Star Wars universe. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it's literally wizards and spaceships like there's nothing you can't uh, get away with, whether that's like a noir homage or whether that's like a band of brothers war story or whether that's like a West Wing style political intrigue. Yeah, yeah. There's no limits of what can and cannot be told through the lens of Star Wars. And because multiple episodes, people don't have to, can't necessarily be like, oh, I hated that this one episode was like a West Wing style political, you know what I mean? Because it's like, but then there's more after that. It's not just one movie coming out that you hang your hat on for the next like several years. I love this quote from writer Henry Gilroy, uh, Clone Wars writer. It's a secret recipe, Star Wars brew, four cups swashbuckling characters, teaspoon of weird aliens, eight ounces of strange creatures, two cups of spaceships, tablespoon of lightsabers, preferably on on, stir in a dash of the mystical, magical nature of the Force. Sift in some comedy to taste. Blend well with a timeless yet fresh fairy tale theme that everybody can grab onto. Bake for nine months to a year. Garnish with Kevin uh, Kiner, uh, the uh, composer, and Matt Wood, and voila! Eat your heart out, Disney Channel. <laughs> that was pretty solid. So uh, before we move on, I didn't specifically ask you. I guess you did kind of already talk about your experience with the Clone Wars. I'm kind of just experiencing this week, so I don't have as much of a gush other than what I've just said about the prequels and my revelation here. But for you, Alex, you also kind of came to Clone Wars a little later, right? Yeah. So it started coming out when I was in college. And that's kind of like my own personal dark times for Star Wars, where I've just I wasn't really yeah. into any fandom. You were fucking experimenting with LSD. <laughs> let's be yeah, honest. You, know it, you, you were know listening it. to a bunch of Hendrix, and you know what I mean. It was like anyone who knows me in in person, that image you would be hysterical. The Vietnam War draft, and uh, was, the rest was history. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry. Let me be more accurate. You're at a party, and you don't know enough people to feel comfortable, and someone passes you a joint, and now you're scared on a couch. <laughs> <laughs> a lot closer to what really happened. <laughs> so yeah, I, I didn't really come to the Clone Wars until I had started uh, my YouTube channel. 
like I knew of its existence, I would kind of keep up with it. I remember hearing, oh, Darth Maul's alive. That's dumb. And just like kind of moving on. I was OK with him being alive. It was that he had little robot spider legs where he lost me. <laughs> I'll come back to that because I actually do quite like that he is alive now. Uh, but when I just it's one of those things that when you hear it, you're like, that makes no sense. And then you move on. But when you see it in execution, I'm like, OK, I actually do love this. Uh, so I didn't start watching any of the Star Wars cartoons because uh, except for the original Tartakovsky Clone Wars, because that was out uh, when I was in high school. But I didn't start watching the cartoons because I wrongly thought that they were just going to be childish mm -hmm. crap. Like, I remember when Star Wars Rebels images of that were coming out and I literally was like, oh, this is what you get when Disney has Star Wars and <laughs> just the, the worst view on it. But I was like, I'm doing this channel. I should at least check it out. And it, I pretty quickly changed my tune on Rebels and then finished the series and I was or the season. And I was like, uh, I better know more about Ahsoka. I knew <laughs> the, the specific the generalities of her. But I was like, time to watch the Clone Wars. So that is when I watched the Clone Wars for the first time in between Rebels seasons one and two. Hell yeah. And super dug it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the early episodes and the movie are a little bit rough, like season uh -huh. one. Yeah, you know. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, just the evolution of the animation. We'll definitely talk about that. The first film. And that's why it's so interesting that A, it was crazy to release the first three episodes or so as a film. And then for it to do so poorly and them still be like, yep, keep it rocking, guys. Let's keep pumping them <laughs> well, out. It's kind of awesome that George Lucas, from what I know about the show, is just like he was bankrolling this thing. Mm -hmm. And he's yeah. like, it's going to get made because I want it to be made. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, nothing's going to stop him. And I think that, again, that energy really translates through the whole show. And it's like, it's exactly, it become, I think it just became this, like, much more pure passion project for him and the team. Uh, and, of course, he got a bunch of super fans. Let's get into it. Uh, it all starts, actually, with Mr. Samurai Jack himself, Jindy Tartakovsky. Tartakovsky uh, was born in Moscow, but discovered art when his family moved to Italy and discovered comics when he they later moved to the U.S. He studied animation at the California Institute of the Arts. We talked about him on our Cartoon Network episode uh, way back in the day. This, like, amazing think tank of people. Uh, he meets uh, Rob Renzetti at uh, Cal Art and Craig McCracken, and he directs two animated uh, student animated films there. One of those ended up being the basis for Dexter's Laboratory. So as legend would have it, Tartakovsky, Craig McCracken, ba uh, Rob Renzetti, and Paul Ruddish all get a job for Hanna-Barbera. They're all stuffed into this small trailer in a parking lot of the studio where they incubate and essentially come up with all of that Cartoon Network stuff that made that channel a huge hit and uh, is like this huge, you know, beloved series of shows, including Dexter's Laboratory, The Powerpuff Girls, and more. Um, uh, that was uh, followed by the massive success of his next series, Samurai Jack, uh, which then caught the eye of one George Lucas. Uh, Tartakovsky said, the project came together through joint conversations between Lucasfilm and Cartoon Network. Lucas wants to keep the Star Wars property robust and active between motion picture releases, so they approached me and asked if I would be interested in creating a one-minute program based on Star Wars. Tartakovsky managed to talk Lucas um, from one minute 
to three minutes at least. <laughs> quality, uh, he, quality maneuver. <laughs> he, 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 Tartikovsky was actually surprised to find that Lucas was very hands off in terms of the work once he gave his blessing. And essentially, Tartikovsky figured this out. He was like, I wonder if I could take a Samurai Jack episode and condense it down to three minutes and actually tried it. And it worked, at least for him. So he was like, all right, I think I can pull this off. So Tartakovsky and team, they go off, design a bunch of characters and a storyline, and Lucas and team love the pitch. Tartakovsky was actually super inspired by the HBO series Band of Brothers, which took the massive saga that was World War II and broke it down into these smaller stories. Tartakovsky said, as I see it, this project mirrors that approach by showcasing several, quote, days in the life of the Clone Wars. For instance, in the first few episodes, we're presenting a singular but extremely important campaign, the Battle of of Munalist, uh, an all-city planet under attack by the Imperial Separatist movement, were able to explain the goals and obstacles uh, the old Republic and Jedi must face, reveal important internal conflicts between the main characters, and still have time to highlight the action of the battle. Uh, and as for the animation approach, it was mostly done via cell animation. Uh, however, they did add some CGI elements, notably the spaceships and dogfights in space. This is not exactly the Clone Wars we know, though. This was the precursor to the Clone Wars we know and love, the CGI uh, Clone Wars led by Dave Filoni and George Lucas. However, this set the stage for it um, and pr- was kind of a proof of concept, I think, for Lucas. Oh, it definitely, uh, it felt like a very special event as both a nerd of the Star Wars variety and an animation fanboy. When they started trickling out these micro episodes, it felt like an event. It felt like a special occasion because who knows when they were going to rerun these things. Like it felt like a once in a lifetime event when they would drop these in the middle of a tsunami or in the middle of an afternoon block. Um, And the animation is slick as fuck. There is like so much rule of cool in every one of these micro episodes. It makes all of those background weirdos from the Jedi Council seem like goddamn superheroes. They seem like, uh, you know, General Grievous will never, ever be as cool as he is in this show. Um, in fact, I even remember the uh, the kind of the effect that we talk about with the Clone Wars kind of enhancing the prequels when it came time to uh, watch Revenge of the Sith. I was, or is that, yeah, I think it's Revenge of the Sith is the third prequel. <laughs> Why are we so bad at naming the third prequel? <laughs> because they all have names like the thing of the thing and it blurs together. <laughs> the, uh, you know, when General Grievous was on screen for the first time, you know, he's like this hacking weird robot. And I remember like fe- people in the audience next to me being like, what the, who the fuck is this guy? And in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's General Grievous. Oh my gosh. Oh, he's so, <laughs> he's going to do a thing where he grabs like eight lightsabers at once and goes wooshy, wooshy, wooshy. It's going to be fucking <laughs> rad because of those early cartoons. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. 
Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, not to put you too much on the spot, Alex, but did you, uh, have you gone through that that initial uh, set of The Clone Micro Wars? series. As the Micro series. Yeah, I did back in, I guess it was 03, 04, when they were coming out. In, in the lead up to Revenge of the Sith, because I was the same way, Jacob, that uh, Grievous is on screen and I'm like, oh, my God, it's Grievous. And I know why he's coughing, <laughs> because <laughs> the case Mace Windu just like crushed his lungs. <laughs> Watching that build up where we see the capture of uh, Chancellor Palpatine that leads into the beginning of Revenge of the Sith was really fun. And it's so interesting to think about now because, yes, yeah, so many elements from it. Uh, move into the actual Clone Wars series, the CG one like Asajj Ventress and uh, Grievous and so many of those battles as well have now been uh, brought into canon through books or comics or d- just mentions of the events from the micro series. Everybody loves that one novel. I believe it's called uh, Water Guy does a thing where they just it's the one time Kit Fisto was cool. Is that, is that micro series? <laughs> he was cool in in the in season four as well. The, oh, the water okay. war episodes. <laughs> they also uh, they did a kind of a sorry not sorry with the they did canon not canon right uh, with that uh, initial series right at, at first it was canon and then Lucas George Lucas went back and uncanoned it. Is that correct? The legends, especially like before the Disney purchase and everything, legends canon is such a mess just because. Yeah. George and all the authors have said as much as well that they're like, we know that we're just getting to play in this universe. Uh, I think it was Tom Veitch who wrote uh, Dark Empire. I think it was in that comic. He has a foreword where he's like, I know that when George does his three sequel movies, because at that (laughs) point it was an assumption that it would happen. He's like, I know that my comic is not going to be the basis for that story, but I'm Mm -hmm. so appreciative that I get to play in Star Wars for now. And yet Fans uh, like me, I still tried to do this. We we wanted it all to fit and we would try to make legends work with whatever was coming out, all the books and comics. And the Clone Wars CG series is so weird because it was coming out with the books and comics. George Lucas didn't really care about contradicting them, but fans would still try to make it work and retcon things and reason things out i still do that to this day on my (laughs) channel for the books and comics but clone wars was especially this weird thing where george lucas would change legends history but then dave filoni would come in and be like hey we could do a cool reference to the thrawn Mm -hmm. books or they were planning on bringing the yuzon vong into the clone wars so like they were open to taking ideas from the books and comics but it was definitely its own thing yeah and he did speak a lot about how like they would kind of covertly with george be like s- exactly sneak things in from the extended universe right and and tr- try to like <laughs> yeah just massage little things in for for the super fans which is super cool we're about to get into dave filoni i will just say real quick that initial burst of micro episodes um that uh from uh uh, which is named Jindy Tartakovsky. Uh, they package that into two films, two like movie packages on Disney Plus. So you can go watch all of those, and they just run seamlessly to the point where we had to f- we like watch some of it during our su- Sunday study session. Patreon.com forward slash Whizbrew Sunday study session fifteen dollars a month. You get to join us every di- every Sunday on the Discord while we go over whatever we're covering that week. And uh, yeah, we we were like, oh wait, I think the last episode just ended and the new one just began. It, it's a very seamless 
uh, transition, and it's kind of a cool way to watch it. But uh, regardless, the reason for the season, let's get into it. Uh, Dave Filoni, um, such a huge part of what made uh, Clone Wars so great. Dave Filoni grew up in t- Pennsylvania. His father was a huge opera. We can and classical- agree the Tatooine of America. Let's yes, say. of course, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I refer. I call it American Tatooine. I don't even call it Pennsylvania. Um, I love having a cheesesteak from American Tatooine. <laughs> his father was a huge opera and classical music fanatic, and his grandfather and uncle were pilots uh, that later got into restoring planes. So he had a very big love for aircraft. I think it translates to his love for spacecraft and Star Wars. After college, Filoni got a job as a storyboard artist first for the Mike Judge show, King of the Hill, uh, then for a slew of animation shows, stuff like Mission Hill, Kim Possible, and uh, Lilo and Stitch the series, and then he managed to break into directing on the animated series Avatar The Last Airbender, for which he did a bunch of the first season episodes. Of course, we have an Avatar uh, episode out there as well in the wild. Um, Filoni was a big old Star Wars fan from childhood, and even dressed up as Jedi Master Plo Koon for the opening of Revenge of the Sith. Actually, Filoni is kind of a weirdo about the character Plo Koon. He would end up gathering an insane amount of memorabilia for the character, including a bust of his head, a model of his ship, and an autographed portrait of the actor who played Plo Koon, and many more items. He even uh, would write the words Plo Cool on concept (laughs) art for Clone Wars that he especially Especially liked. He's kind of insane for this character. It's disturbing at best. Wait, is that the he's the gas mask bug eye guy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he's super into that guy. Do you guys know the term glub shitto? I am no. aware of the term glub shitto. <laughs> oh well, please explain. Okay, so this was someone on Twitter uh kind of coined to this phrase of uh Star Wars fans will freak out about the weirdest stuff. They'll like a character will come on screen and they'll all yell, like, oh my god, it's glub shitto. So that has become the term for <laughs> any person's favorite weird Star Wars character. So Dave Filoni's Glup Shitto is Plo Koon. I love it. I love it. Do you guys have a Glup Shitto? Someone that you... Oh, I, I love asking people this question. Like, who is your favorite just minor, minor character in Star Wars that you have a weird attachment to probably someone over on the job of the hut side. I really like yeah, his little I, sidekick. I will always be delighted when I see a bib Fortuna out yeah, of the blue, but again, that, I feel like that doesn't count. Oh, I, I, I think so. Uh, hammerhead, uh, from, or any of the hammerhead species okay. from the, uh, from the cantina. I always like mm-hmm. that guy. <laughs> That's so funny. Who's oh, yours? In, Clone Wars, in, in the micro series, mm-hmm. there's a great moment with one of the hammerheads. Oh yeah, Jedi, the Jedi. Yeah, who like he finally gets to open his weird, gross head, and it turns out to be like <laughs> Omega level scream. <laughs> Minus Biggs Darklighter, the mustached pilot from A New Hope. I, I love yes. all the pilots, but Biggs Darklighter. Oh, I'm actually not that anyone can see this, mm, but this is nice. his helmet on my shirt. And Porkums. Yep. I <laughs> have resent to go Porkums. Porkins so bad. Porkins. Sorry. <laughs> As a child, (laughs) as a gravitationally gifted child, it felt very weird that like, yes, even you're in the Star Wars universe. It was weird, like right before his spaceship got destroyed and he died, you know, or whatever. He was just like, I'm too fat to live. That was a weird. I didn't (laughs) understand why that had to happen. I mean, it was implied. It was implied. As a young age, I could hear 
George Lucas being like, I will never grow into a weird chubby man with no neck. This is what fat people deserve. <laughs> Dave Filoni said, there was something about that first film, especially to me, that when Luke is going down the trench and he hears Obi-Wan say, the force will be with you. I mean, people got up and cheered. How many movies have you been to in the last 10 years where people did that? Uh, and I honestly, I can't think of a time where I saw that much hype inside of maybe Dark Knight Returns, maybe, but even then, people weren't jumping up and down and cheering at a point in the movie. Uh, so George Lucas asked Filoni to go help him with a new animated series. Uh, apparently, this was uh, Lucas was having trouble finding someone who he the right man for the job. And he was very particular about who he was going to bring in, and Filoni really just got the job because he actually talked about Star Wars that much at work, uh, working on Avatar, and was connected finally. Like he, he said he got a call from Lucasfilm and, and was about to hang up on them. Uh, uh, he thought it was a joke. You know, he thought he was being pranked. Uh, so it was kind of this crazy situation for him. He's literally just nerded out about Star Wars so hard and had the, you know, animation chops and everything that he was finally just connected to oh, the whole project. Weird. I have it here on uh, my list of notes that uh, Lucas immediately was drawn to Filoni because he mistakenly thought he was SNL alum Bobby Moynihan. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. I will also say the one I was desperate to find out. Dave Filoni famously wears a uh, wide brimmed. I'm not. It's not technically a cowboy. I call hat. it a nerd hat. What yeah. do you? What do you call it? Uh, he wears <laughs> some like an kind Indiana of, Jones hat, right? Kind yeah. of some kind of hybrid Indiana Jones cowboyish uh, uh, haberdashery. <laughs> he apparently wore it to one of his initial meetings, and when asked about it. He said, "It's uh, this is what I wear when I go out into the wilderness. And uh, <laughs> Lucas, himself a nature lover, resonated with him, and it helped gain their like connection very early on. So let that be a lesson to you people. Wear your nerd hat to that big job interview. Don't let anybody <laughs> say it's inappropriate or a weird choice or everybody yeah. knows you're bald and you're not kidding anybody. Yeah, wear that Demon Slayer uh, custom jacket to the job interview. You know, whatever it is. So George Lucas, Dave Filoni, and writers Henry Gilroy and um, Katie Lucas, George Lucas's daughter, and more all get together to work out a three quote three D continuation of the pilot series that was on the Cartoon Network, as Lucas described it when he announced the show in two thousand five. Henry, I've got I've got some really great quotes from Henry Gilroy. Um, He's done a bunch of interviews and stuff about it. Henry said, On the first 13 episodes, I wrote premises with Dave that went to George for approval. He made his notes. Then we went through outline and script phase, and George would see the scripts when Dave and I and Catherine were happy with them. I'm not sure if Catherine is... I don't know if that's Katie Lucas or someone else. I was, by the way, I was trying to figure get to the bottom of that. But anyways, Catherine, we're happy with him. He'd make notes and the scripts would go final. On most shows, that would be the end of the writing process. But on Clone Wars, that's about the middle of the writing process. Because once the episodes get into animatics slash story reel and editorial, Dave and George go through them, rewriting, adding, and subtracting, etc. There was a period, Dave, uh, Dave Filoni said, there was a period where Henry and I had to learn exactly what it took to be a part of George Lucas's Star Wars and tell the Star Wars story his way. We had to learn how to look at the galaxy from his point of view and let go of some of what we considered canon after we found out the ideas were only EU, Extended Universe, which we were just talking about. Really, we had to unlearn what we had learned and go back to the movies as the defining source material. And that was really just at first them pitching ideas. 
afterwards, I think I have some quotes here saying pretty much the same thing. Uh, George, what was the term again about the with the character? The people go, oh, shit, that's... Oh, Glub Shido. <laughs> Glub Shido. Essentially, George Lucas would do that for like... He would just run in and be like, this week we're doing an episode on Glub Shido. Figure it out. And, like, <laughs> and he was just got so excited that he was primarily coming in with the ideas. And then he would just hand it off to them, be like, this is what I want. He would develop storylines and stuff even and, and outlines and then just be like, go, take it, run with it, figure it out. And I just again feel like that it speaks to the excitement George Lucas had for this as his special place to like, just really get to develop things. He would not, not normally get to develop on the, in the films, get to it, play with characters. He wasn't allowed to play with in the films. Now is, I think what makes this so special. It's definitely part of Lucas's MO. Cause when you think of like, what is star Wars originally, it was George Lucas just playing with all these thematic and genre action figures out of his toy box. It's like a samurai movie slash Flash Gordon slash swashbuckling mm -hmm. epic slash Western buddy comedy slash everything that he loved as a child just kind of smushed into this own uh, new form of movie. And so he gets to, you know, what's an even better playground for playing with ideas than television? And he clearly wanted a TV show for a very long time. Besides droids and Ewoks, we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> Somebody said, are you going to talk about droids and Ewoks? And I said, fuck no. And then you I punched shot him. that guy in the leg, I think, right? <laughs> well, Let him shot bleed first. out the street. He shot first, so I'm technically <laughs> still a good guy. This is my quote, by the way, that I was just referencing uh, from Henry. Uh, one time, George would pull out a drawing of a monster and said, this is a gun dark. I want to <laughs> see it. In the show. <laughs> Dave Filoni said, I'm so glad that he's so involved in this show. Star Wars is his, and I firmly believe that he's the one that, that knows that secret formula for getting that effervescent action feeling of comedy, drama, and thriller that Star Wars really is. I'm just trying to learn from him as much as I can about how to get that feeling so that I can pass on to kids and families now what it was that when I sat in the theater in 77 just grabbed all of us. Which again is like just I think that this is this show as I learn more and more about it, it just became more and more special to me, just knowing the background of it and and what what this was. And it's kind of funny too, because I think it took the Samurai Jack guy just like kind of taking cause he said Lucas was hands off. And I think he just saw what that guy did and was like, wait, I want in on that. And then just like made this series and then got to really let loose. And I think this is, you know. What carried the Star Wars uh, franchise through some really dark times, this series, for sure. So Lucasfilm Animation hired around 300 digital artists and more for the animation located in California and Singapore uh, to work on the project. Char character designer Killian Plunkett did refer to Tartakovsky's original series for inspiration. Uh, some of the character designs were, were pulled from that. Oh, yeah. If you look at the beard on Obi-Wan, it is like one to one what Tartakovsky brought to the table. Uh, the the I believe one of the main references for the simplified style was like those uh, British like puppet marionation, like Thunderbird style uh, sculptor Darren Marshall is responsible for a bulk of the at least the base designs for a lot of these characters. And uh especially in the later seasons, they go ham with the hand-painted textures 
on a lot of the characters that I think really just make the show pop and uh, make it distinctive. Darren Marshall described his process as such. I'll read a script and then I'll block out a head in a day or two. I'll take a photograph of the head uh, if Dave Filoni's approved it and then I'll put it into Photoshop on my computer. Next, I'll draw a body and costume and then paint the whole thing over the top of the pictures of the maquette head and the body for the finished design. And apparently, especially in those first set of episodes, because of the how you know much of a process it was to create each new character, they would kind of introduce like one mm-hmm. major character with each one of those episodes and really showcase them. Because essentially in their just creative process, they kind of had to focus on one at a time as they slowly introduced them out because it just to design the characters was was a bit of an undertaking. You you can straight up see in the in the original movie <laughs> there's uh, someone in Jabba's palace that's just like an alien head on Obi-Wan's Jedi body. <laughs> it's just w- walking around in the background. You're like, well, all right. <laughs> uh, so apparently after seeing uh, footage for the early episodes, Lucas said, this is so beautiful. Why don't we just go and use the crew and make a feature? So the series starts out with a feature-length film, which served as a pilot episode for the Cartoon Network series, which premiered two months after the film's release. Thankfully, this happened. Uh, with the, the Thankfully, the show went forward, even though it would turn out to be the lowest-grossing Star Wars film to date. It got a lot of negative reviews from critics. I think this was also just because Star Wars was just like, the no, no longer cool at this point uh, in the franchise's history. Alex, did you catch this in the theater? Or is this something you also went back and saw later on? I did not see this in theaters. So, yeah, this was 08. So uh, I was still in college and just kind of in my dark times of Star Wars. Dun, 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 yeah. dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to blow up my own spot me. here and yeah. say I didn't <laughs> see it at all. I be- I begged fans and followers to be like, should I watch this? I only have so much time this week to catch up on Clone Wars. And unanimously, they were yeah. like, nah, you're fine. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like the, the film is like no uh, bearing on the quality or enjoyment of the show. You can just like tune in and any given episode and just be like, oh, yeah, that's Ahsoka. She's cool. And then just like move on with your life. And just in general, the animation evolved throughout the first season. It wasn't really until season two that you really had the quality that the show, you know, hung its hat on in terms of the animation um, moving forward. It was just the lighting was weird. There was um, just kind of, uh, you know, just even just movement was a stiffer it just didn't did not have the quality it would get later on i mean they're they're in completely new territory like so many of these crude cg animated shows that they had tried to do beforehand were that just tech wasn't there for that level of turnaround like the clone wars movie i think had a budget of eight million dollars meanwhile pixar is putting out cg animated films at with like a hundred million dollar budgets it just is it just was not in uh, they were honestly forging new ground, new workflows, new technologies to get this weird middle ground of premium CG show. Uh, Alex, I, I barely got to watch any of the first season this week. Like, is are there like standout moments that you remember or is there like uh, just just things that stand out in general about that first uh, initial few blocks of episodes? Absolutely. Uh, Rookies was the first one that jumped into my head. That one's pretty much all about the clones and it's for the first bit of it. It's all about clones. We'd never met before just like brand new recruits trying to survive and hold out on uh, this station while the separatists try to infiltrate 
they're waiting for Rex and Obi-Wan to get there. I think that episode's great. I believe Lair of Grievous is in season one. That one's awesome. Mm. It's got Kit Fisto in it. <laughs> and and he gets to be cool while they <laughs> infiltrate Grievous's base. Uh, it, there's definitely some very good episodes in season one. Uh, but but it's also easily the roughest season. Mm-hmm. One of the things about the Clone Wars that I think is a uh, weird like little handshake in joke among fans that I saw referenced a lot is the fact that Anakin never meets Grievous. Yes. Because in uh, Revenge of the Sith, they are they formally are like, I thought you were uh, older. And he's like, I thought you were taller or whatever. And so <laughs> they go out of their way in several like highly convenient circumstances to make sure Anakin and Grievous never actually look eye to eye to the point where like they will be passing through like the same hallway and they'll like knock someone out just at the last minute just to make sure that one weird moment in the movie is preserved because these this is the attention to detail that that team had to deal with. Well, uh, I feel like that's a good jumping off point to get into the whole chronology situation going I'm on. I'm going to lean Clone back Wars. and let Alex take care of this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the show also exists outside of chronological order. There are guides online if you want to watch the show in the actual chronology. I mean, it's it seems like by season three, it kind of hits in order. I think after that is what is seen by looking at the chronology. But yeah, it's definitely like an episode from season two, then a couple episodes from season... Yeah, it's sort of... It has this bizarre... Like, how does that translate as someone who's like gone through the show... Or how did, how did you work with that? Did you watch it in chronological order? Did you, you know, all that good stuff? The first time I watched it, I watched it in release order. Uh, I'm like always a big proponent of that. Whenever someone's like, I'm trying to get my friend into Star Wars. In what order should I show them the movies? <laughs> I'm always like originals, prequels, sequels, or like, yeah. and Rogue One and Solo, like throw them into the mix as well. Uh-huh. So I watched it for the first time straight through. And then the second time I watched it, I did chronological. I do prefer chronological. Uh, I think that that was, I I guess that's a Flash Gordon thing or like a serial thing. Okay. I believe that's what I read somewhere that they were trying to continue to make it feel serialized where, yeah, there would be arcs, uh, but then the next arc might take place before that. And even season seven, the episodes are, or the arcs are out of order slightly. It's just, you don't really notice it as much. Um, I think that's what, they figured the balance out from season three on was like, let's try to make this not so jarring because I do think it is a little weird, <laughs> especially for a kid's show. Uh-huh. What are like the key landmark moments in the Clone Wars that help establish the chronology? Like what is like, oh, this is before this instance. Oh, this happens. Like what are the major turning points that the show jumps around? I, I well, the beginning of season three, actually starts with uh domino squad the the characters from rookies Mm -hmm. so that was a season one episode then season three shows them all training uh and then season three episode two jumps way into the future and it's after the episode rookies and is all of the surviving characters returning to camino so that's one that jumps into my head where i'm like yeah that's super out of order i think season five opens with uh, an attack from Darth Maul on Hondo Onaka's place. <laughs> and when they get there, it's already a mess. Mm. And you're like, what happened to Hondo? And then later in season five, during the youngling arc, we see 
General Grievous attack Hondo's place and make it a mess. So uh, hmm. it, it's just kind of moments like that. I, I think the show still works well enough, even out of order. But just sometimes you'll you'll hit those moments where you're like, wait, what happened here? Did I miss something? And then you get the answer later. And and they took great effort to like make that so um, make make each episode stand alone as much as they could. Uh, Dave Filoni said, "For us to be successful with this series, I keep trying to keep the crew in the mindset of you're developing a show the year before Star Wars comes out. Don't count on people knowing what a Jedi is. Don't rely on them understanding how the Re- Republic works. And that's something I tell the writers too. And something George is really impressed upon me is that you should be able to watch any episode of the Clone Wars, whether you've seen every episode of it or hardly any episodes of it, and be able to follow the story we're telling and enjoy it. Where did where where did the Clone Wars uh, air on? What did it air on? Cartoon Network. Cartoon Network, right? So yeah, I mean, you know you're watching any random assortment of cartoons as a kid, right? Or whatever. It's just, it's just what's on. So that would make sense for, especially like a cable, you know, channel like that during its heyday. Like it was, it was, you know, you had to be able to, uh, I will say this though. It seems from like what I've uh, gathered from, especially later seasons, there are several episodes that create arcs and there are like major episodes that tied the room together essentially of the season that bring all these different story threads together. Does it kind of become a little bit more arc focused as the show goes on? Or is, do you still get that sense? Like each episode is really enjoyable alone. I think it kind of leans more into the arcs. Mm -hmm. Some of them are still, you know, you can just watch that one episode and it will, it will make sense, but it definitely, I think from season three on, especially has, like three to four episode arcs constantly throughout the season. Mm-hmm. And that final season two is, has to do so much to set up for like what happens right after this is revenge of the Sith. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that that, that also there's just, they have to really bring a bunch of stuff in. I will say though, if you're looking for a North star, if you're watching episodes out of order or what have you, uh, you want to look at the character of Ahsoka, uh, as the guiding light for the order of the show. Filoni said, you can tell mostly where the series is at by paying attention to Ahsoka and how she behaves. Is she being really bratty and using a lot of nicknamey things and driving Anakin nuts? Or is she becoming more respectful and saying, I'm sorry, and I'll try to do better, Master, and becoming a more capable fighter? These kind of things really show you. That's how I keep measuring where we are at. And eventually, the fans will become very aware of the timeline that we have. The fans so, were uh, so mad about Ahsoka Tano when she first came up because she was like this teen girl who like was Mm -hmm. naive about the war, naive about the Jedi and like had a kind of like bratty attitude, but she was our point of view character for the most part. Like, you know, it's through her that you're experiencing the Jedi for the first time. And you're like getting to know these characters who in theory have been fighting alongside each other for years by the time we're brought into her uh, perspective. I think Ashley X, Eckstein, Eckelstein, Eckstein, Eckstein is how I've always said it. Does an amazing job kind of maturing her, the character through all of the events that happen. And by the time the series ends, she is just like, without a doubt, one of the most well-rounded and like compelling characters in the Star Wars canon. It is amazing. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. 
It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, and the hype people had when the live action, you know, Ahsoka hit was, I mean, just is so telling for how this character evolved in like the minds of the fans. Is she the most important character to come out of? Uh, of the Clone Wars series, I mean, is there any anybody else that you would say was like either you know maybe they weren't introduced purely in the show, but they, their character was so much better developed in the show? Well, Anakin, <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but, but I think Ahsoka is the big standout of the Clone Wars, and like you said, Jacob, yeah, she was so hated when she was introduced. Everyone was like, "What? Anakin didn't have a Padawan?" And it's like, "Says who? <laughs> you just didn't know that he had a Padawan, and now yeah. we're learning new information." Like that still happens every day in the Star Wars fandom. You're like, what, "What do you mean this? We that never happened?" It's like, "No, you just didn't know that." Or like, I mean, I had to deal with that. I didn't want Obi Wan Kenobi to leave Tatooine. I thought that that would have mm. been a mistake, and so I got a little upset. We're like, "What do you mean he left Tatooine?" It's like, well, nothing said he never did. And they they thought of a really good reason for him to leave Tatooine. Like, Leia is such an obvious choice that I was like, I can't believe I didn't think of that. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. That that happens to Star Wars fans constantly, where we we feel like we know everything about this universe. And then a writer will say, well, here's something you didn't know. And we'll get so Uh indignant about it. (laughs) And yet now she comes into live action and people are losing their minds with excitement. I love like a a story like that where, where, yeah, a character gets introduced. Yeah, exactly. There's like this one vibe. And then all these years later, it's just like this, you know, freak out over their inclusion. I I will say like, it's almost every character from the prequels gets done right in the Uh Clone Wars animated series. Who stands out, who like is is redeemed, who is like elevated by the show. I immediately thought of the clones themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. D. Bradley Baker, because they're all clones, plays each of these uh genetically identical characters and finds a way to like humanize them what a and fun give them a voice unique personality. Challenge. What a cool chat challenge to get to have to get to play all those it's such a weird thing in the original movies like they go to this like weird planet with a bunch of thunderstorms and they're just like oh here's a bunch of Django fets have fun whatever and like even as an audience member like the ethical implications the existential implications like everything about these like characters that they just throw in the movie is like well you know uh, Alec Guinness said the Clone Wars in that first movie, so there's got to be clones in this war. And the show does an incredible job of, like, uh, you know, using them as an analogy for the plight of the soldier, uh, especially during the Bush years where all, when all this was being aired, or I guess we, by 2008 it was Obama, whatever. But, like, you know, the war on terror was happening. Uh, America really was like gung ho on military excursions overseas and had no popular venue to really question it. Uh, and the fact that 
uh, you know, the clones themselves, if you are going into this series, you know Order 66 happens. And so every scene with these guys are just fraught, like they're ticking time bombs, and yet they're still human. It's an insanely dense and interesting and uh, well-fleshed-out idea that I honestly feel like was just kind of thrown in there in the movies and given the full breadth and space to explore in this show that, like, now when I look at a clone trooper... I don't think, oh, those were like Happy Meal toys from 2002. <laughs> I think, oh, my God, those poor tragic brothers given no, like a, no choice but to fight, no reason but to die. Like, my God, Semper Fudge. Like, <laughs> Also, this was the place where, like, I think a lot of people, even if you didn't like the original, the prequels, you still probably really thought Darth Maul was badass and like that sort of, you know, that lightsaber battle was awesome. Like it's a shining point in the prequels. And so I think he really got, Oh my God, as well, his due. And I mean, spoiler alert, he comes back in the clone wars, but uh, he really got also some really good development that I think a lot of fans wanted um, and felt like kind of that he was a little too in and out from the films. Yeah. I Maul is something that I, like I said, when I heard that, I was like, they're doing what? That dude got cut in half. Come on. And I think Lucas <laughs> at one point even said in The Phantom Menace, I cut Maul in half so the audience would know for sure he was dead. <laughs> and then years later, he's like, eh, what if we bring him back? And yeah, <laughs> the execution on Maul is fantastic. He has he and Savage Press, uh, as silly as that name is, I, I, I think that they have some of the best episodes the only thing I don't like about Maul coming back is it sets the precedent for anyone to come back. Because <laughs> if you can survive being cut in half, you can survive anything. So nobody trusts a dead character in Star Wars anymore. <laughs> yeah. Are you saying that Darth Maul being thrown down a bottomless shaft only to come back later is what gave J.J. Abrams the go ahead to bring back Palpatine? Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, I, I think that it gives a precedent for sure. someone to be like, why not? <laughs> we had Sam Witwer's incredibly tragic voice acting job, giving Maul a uh, sadness and humanity and fear and rage that uh, we were only given glimpses of in the original movie. But at what cost? At what cost? <laughs> I uh, I wanted to throw in a couple tidbits I didn't really find a great place for. I, I love this quote from Dave Filoni. George is very involved. In some cases, he will pull out a portfolio of used concepts dating all the way back to 1977. Then we'll use that as a starting point. He never throws anything away. So it's definitely a mix of new stuff and old stuff. And we are conscious to try and make designs that fit into the aesthetic of what has come before. Um, also, I just, first of all, I would just love to get my hands on that portfolio. That sounds <laughs> fucking awesome. Uh, and also interestingly enough, which is crazy to me considering where we're at now with the Mandalorian and Boba Fett, George Lucas did not want to include bounty hunters into the show. Uh, however, Filoni is the one who pushed for that. He said, I'm glad he changed his mind because they're some of the, my favorite characters. They've allowed us to tell different kinds of stories too. They're old school Star Wars. And I mean, obviously as, as we move into Mandalorian and stuff, I mean, it's just incredible that that, that almost didn't happen. And that's again, Mandalorian's like some of the most like beloved stuff happening right now in Star Wars. Was Cad Bane original to the Clone Wars or did he exist in the lore before that? No, he was a Clone Wars original. Good on oh, cool. That. Good yeah. on that. Yeah. And you know, you even said it yourself, Alex, like you were in college, you kind of thought this stuff, you know, was for kids. And uh, I think what makes it work so well is that it secretly low key is super not. 
Dave Filoni said, there's this perception right away since we're animated that we're just for kids always, which is just not true. When I was a little kid, I really liked Empire Strikes Back. Now it freaked me out because I was really little. When I saw Luke's hand get cut off, I was like, oh my gosh. But something George told me when we're doing stuff like that is that as long as there's an intention and a purpose and a story point, we can do things that are intense because they're just not done gratuitously. We have to keep that in mind. But I think one of the things people love about the show, including kids, and I feel like, especially, you know, as I've been watching the newest season of Stranger Things lately, I'm kind of thinking about, like, the stuff that that applies to the youth in general, and my experience back in the day of, like, I loved movies that had scary shit in them, like the beginning of Ghostbusters, right, as an example, in the library, right? Like, and I think we forget, or creators forget sometimes, that kids do want to see someone get, you know, mangled or something like that and and want to see that dark edgy stuff and then also you know obviously too it it's it's fun for adults and we can kind of get a little more into it because it's not like quote-unquote packaged for children like we 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 don't give them enough credit a lot of times of like what they add they want to be scared they want to see something frightening or or um slightly edgy you know what i mean there's a difference between like uh oh a fun monster gets is in this one and like the umbara arc where our like uh (laughs) clone troopers get sent to what i'm just gonna call space vietnam (laughs) yeah but we were we were just we just did an episode on animorphs and how low key i gotta go listen to that yeah (laughs) i love animorphs speaking of it's all space vietnam man (laughs) yeah exactly like and kids loved it and it was like really dark and really intense wartime descriptions and stuff so well i I think that george lucas i brought this up earlier but george lucas is always like star wars is for kids it is for 12 year olds and people will sometimes people my age or our age will kind of take umbrage at that and be like what do you what do you mean it's for kids i like star wars it's like no that's not what he's trying to say is that it, adults can't like it. He's also not trying to say that someone won't get burned to a crisp on Mustafar. Like scary <laughs> stuff will happen. Yeah. But he means like I'm trying to teach kids, younger people lessons that they can learn. And sometimes lessons are learned the hard way by burning to death or or finding your uh, aunt and uncle as charred corpses. I saw that way too young. <laughs> like there can still be scary and intense stuff. But yeah, like he said, it's for a purpose and it's to teach lessons. And that's what he's trying to do. He's not trying to make uh, he's not trying to make everything a Jar Jar story where yeah, he slips and falls in parts. Like, and yeah, exactly. And I mean, there was little I saw that was cute in my you know experience with the show this this past week for sure. And I think that that again, get, it, it shows respect for the young audience. And I think I really appreciate that. Got to teach the, the kids about deregulation of the bank somehow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes they do do that. Sometimes they, there is a Jar Jar arc where he is a, a goofy mess, uh-huh. but it's not all the time. Like it's, it's a balance. <laughs> uh, you already mentioned the voice cast, uh, a couple members of the voice cast. I will also give shout outs to uh, Matt Lanter as Anakin Skywalker and James Arnold Taylor, who voices Obi-Wan Kenobi. Incredible and job more. as Obi-Wan, like almost at, I've, I've been watching Ewan McGregor in the Obi-Wan show. And like after a week of watching the Clone Wars, James Arnold Taylor is like Obi-Wan in my head. Just this, perfect dashing 
swashbuckling gentleman rogue that like you don't see anymore. It's such a weird callback watching that character in this show because like it's pure Errol Flynn swag in a dainty teacup. Like it's incredible. <laughs> and that just shows a lot of range for him because he apparently also played Titus in Final Fantasy X. <laughs> Which I thought I think is crazy. Ha 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 ha. The the laughing scene is what I'm quoting right there. In case anyone thinks I'm insane, Filoni said, "I think the voice acting talent on the Clone Wars is something I'm really happy with. I think that everybody who does a voice on the Clone Wars is challenged with kind of keeping an icon alive. When it's Matt Latner, a uh, Lanter rather." doing Anakin. Uh, I knew he didn't sound like Anakin from the films necessarily, but I think that he's able to capture the spirit of who Anakin Skywalker is. James Arnold Taylor does that with Obi-Wan and Catherine Tabor with Padme. Uh, another standout, you already mentioned, I believe, Ashley Eckstein, who voices Ahsoka, but uh, just wanted to give another shout out to her. Uh, she's really done this voice solely uh, on all various spinoffs and stuff. It kind of is her jam. Looking at her credits, it seems like really this character has gotten her through um, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of her life financially. Um, and then further shout outs: D. Bradley Baker, who voices uh, the clone tree. Oh yeah, you already mentioned D. Bradley Baker. Tom Kane is both narrator and Yoda, and Matthew Wood, who does General Grievous, and Sam Whitner, who voices Darth Maul. I should also mention, speaking of the narrator, I thought that was really smart to instead of doing that opening crawl like we're used to with Star Wars, every opening is like an old school life at life at war time mm-hmm. like um, kind of thing, and with the narrator and clips like you would see, you know, and from old like World War. Or two, uh, you know, black and white kind of little uh, sh- uh, scenes back, back in the day. They like played you before, can imagine like, a movie theater on Coruscant where little kids are like saving their little Clone War bonds. And, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would you like to know more? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I will say the series uh, is canceled uh, in March of 2013 after its fifth season. Wait, what this happened in due- 2013 that would make a Star Wars <laughs> thing randomly change for no reason? Well, when you happen to know at the Walt Disney Company's acquisition of Lucasfilm uh, and their decision to remove most of the Star Wars expanded universe uh, works from canon. We kind of briefly referenced that, but yeah, that also caused the end. Was it about the canon or was it about the fact that they were producing a $2 million an episode TV show that was not making a profit for Mm -hmm. a Time Warner owned network? What, (laughs) What do you think was the real answer? Yeah, I, I, how, why, what do you think prompted them to bring it back then for season six? What, what made them later go, hey, actually, let's get a season, yeah, let's get another season out there? From my understanding, it, it was, you know, they, they bought Star Wars or Lucasfilm. They were looking at uh, Cartoon Network and, and the Clone Wars. And as far as I know, ratings were dropping on the show. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know why, because like season five is one of the best seasons, but whatever ratings were falling. And yeah, it was a very expensive show that, you know, George Lucas left. He's not bankrolling it anymore. So I think they, they dropped it, but you know, animation is done so far, uh, in advance that they had season six done or at least half of it. So then I think Netflix was the one that they, Uh they bought that and put that out and then just it, it kind of brought a second life into the show i think i mean that's where i first saw it all mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. fans got, got to keep reliving it new fans started to get into it on netflix and i think disney saw uh the potential it had and the love it had and that were like 
oh, well, we've got our own streaming service coming on, so let's do season seven and give it a good send-off. Yeah, it definitely seemed like a big promotion for Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. But that, that is why we got season seven. There's a big gap here. It ran uh, Season six runs on Netflix in 2014. It's not as four years later, 2018, that Lucasfilm announces they would come back with 12 more new episodes for a seventh season. Um, but yeah, I think this was coinciding with the launch of Disney+. Plus. The amount of love that Clone Wars had built up to that moment and the amount of fan demand and fan love really was incredible. Uh, April, I'm sending you a clip. If you can just uh, pop in the just insane (laughs) roar of the crowd at (laughs) Comic-Con when Filoni did a quote-unquote 10th anniversary uh, panel with the Clone Wars cast and creatives and then was like, oh yeah, uh, one more thing, and they show the trailer for the new season. People go nuts for it. It's been a while. That's awesome. Hell yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean that, that season airs in 2020 looking, just kind of using as a reference guide, like kind of top ranked episodes and stuff. There are, there are several from seven. Like it seems like it did a great job of again, tying everything together, setting everything up for, uh, revenge of the Sith, just connecting every dot that they had left, uh, unconnected and, just a banger season, which is awesome. Great way to end it. And it is officially done uh, at this point. I think Filoni's talked about how he's just, he's ready to move on. He feels like what they did was exactly what he he wanted. And he has super moved on, obviously went on to help co-create the Mandalorian, um, as well as a bunch of Clone Wars spinoff, Star Wars Rebels, the Star Wars, the Bad Batch, all that stuff. Well, it's funny. Rebels didn't start as a Clone Wars spinoff, or like mm-hmm. at least it wasn't pitched as such. And mm-hmm. then, like, kind of one by one, uh, old characters started coming back into the woodwork. Ahsoka joined the cast. Rex shows up again. Like it, it's it becomes it's it's interesting that the 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 glow of Clone Wars kind of like beams through it. Well, and it's and it's also interesting to me. Like after doing this episode, it's like. Has Dave Filoni surpassed J.J. Abrams and everyone else to become like the most important guy in Star Wars right now? I mean, at this point, I mean, who is I feel like I don't know my respect for him and his ability to take this property and and fucking weather the storm of so much criticism. He went he went from the dark days, I feel like, for the franchise and just and now we have. The Mandalorian. Now we have all those sh- other shows on Disney Plus, and I think that that all that stuff and having a- Ahsoka ha- be this big deal uh, reveal in the live action space for Star Wars. Like, I just feel like I don't know. I don't know if there's anyone else. Maybe Favreau, maybe, um, but definitely surpassed Abrams, who was supposed to be the guy, right? Uh, cur- more more recently in Star Wars. To I feel like he's he's who's who's better than him. I don't know. Yeah, I'm definitely someone that. Uh, since the Disney acquisition, I've mostly enjoyed the movies, definitely had issues with some of them, but sure, like most of my favorite Star Wars stories since then have been outside of the movies. It's been animation. Mm-hmm. It's been more recently some of the stories in the series, but also books and video games and comics. But yeah, Filoni and his contributions to 
uh, the Clone Wars and Rebels, which again, like I, I'm happy to eat my words on what I thought about Rebels <laughs> over and over again, because I I think it has some crazy awesome Star Wars stuff in it. And seeing him get to elevate up in the live action, not to put animation down, but that he is getting to continue to grow along with Star Wars is mm-hmm. so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And I guess that's about all I got. Jake, do you have any more tidbits or factoids for us as we close out this episode? I just, you know, it's, it does feel like the Filoni show, uh, obviously, in a world where he was chosen to be, and if we're going with a Sith analogy, the apprentice to the Sith Lord of uh, George Lucas, uh, you know, it, it feels good to just kind of put it all on this one jovial hatted man. But, you know, it, it was a highly collaborative work from all the armies of unsung Singaporean animators to uh, Joel Aaron, the effects uh, director who kind of uh, was brought in to kind of uh, elevate the lighting and a lot of the direction of how the show was uh, shot, quote unquote. Um, you know, the after season one, there's an insane leap in the uh, choices in lighting and colors in the uh, special effects. You know, there's a whole last kaiju episode where entire cities are getting uh, destroyed. By the way, we even left out they mo-capped like fight sequences right. for, for certain episodes. Katie Lucas made massive contributions with stuff like the Night Sisters arc that got into like the history of Ventress and made her a real character besides just some bald sex fiend that kept making uh, clearly gay uh, <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi uncomfortable. I'm not I'm just I'm just calls it like a season. I just calls it. I know he also was in love with the uh, they were very specific about how he responds to the uh, Mandalorian Duchess lady. I'm oh, just he, saying he straight up flirts. He has admitted in canon material that he flirts with Asajj. Like that's part of their banter. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, all right. I think that does it. I think that's our episode. Go check it out. I would say maybe check out the chronology if you want to watch it in an order. But anyways, Alex, thank you so much for joining us, man. To everyone, check out Star Wars Explained, uh, the podcast he does with his co-host Molly. Um, uh, it's fantastic. And um, man, I don't even know if I need to promote it that much because it looks like you've got an ass load of subscribers on YouTube uh, and a great listenership. But I think a lot of people uh, who listen to the show who haven't heard of this before would probably get really into this. So check them out on YouTube, Star Wars Explained, uh, and on podcasts, wherever podcasts are found, are dis- are discovered. Uh, uh, anyways, uh, what are the other, anything else you'd like to promote, Alex? Uh, no, I think you, you nailed it. Um, we're, we're just gearing up to cover Andor in about a month. So that'll, that'll be good. I'm excited for that. Hell yeah. All right. Uh, check me out. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. I stream Monday, Tuesday, Friday. Always a blast to have Wizbrew fans come in and say, what's up? Um, you can also uh, check us out, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. If you'd like to support us further, for $5 a month, you get weekly bonus episodes. For $15 a month, as I mentioned before, the Sunday study session on Discord, where you can join us this week. Hey, uh, well, this is coming out after after the fact, but I will just say, we're, this next Sunday coming up, uh, at the time of this recording, we're going to be doing our production schedule with uh, everybody in the Discord, which means uh, those folks get to help us decide what our next batch of episodes are going to cover. Um, and uh, yeah, check us out on that. Patreon.com forward slash Whizbrew Jake. Uh, I do a VTuber channel over on Twitch and YouTube. It's called Puppet Jared. It's all, it's all one word. Puppet Jared, the flagship stream, Thursday nights. It's the cartoon dumpster. 
Monster, we watch the most bizarre, uh, odd, and most importantly, copyright-neglected cartoons from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s and just rip the ever-loving shit out of them. I have some great guests lined up in future weeks, so I really think you should join me over there. Uh, YouTube.com slash PuppetJared, Twitch.tv slash PuppetJared. Oh, and I would have been neglect to mention Jay from the Girugamesh podcast for actually helping me on live stream and help me talk through this episode and offer a lot of his expertise as a lifetime Clone Wars fan. Thank you, Jay. You were indispensable for this episode, and I greatly appreciate your time. Yeah, and thanks again for joining us, Alex. And always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio... And producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.